All right, if you have your Bibles, uh, you go ahead and open them up to Psalm 42 and 43. That's where we're going to be spending most of our time this morning. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, I would encourage you guys to stop back at the Guest Connection Center back there and pick one up. Um, you can have that. That's free of charge. That's our gift to you. No strings attached. We simply want to get God's Word into your hands. As believers in Christ, as followers of Jesus, uh, I don't think there's a more important thing that we can do than to get into His Word together with one another uh, to grow closer and to become more like Him. And so if you want to take advantage of that free gift, then I encourage you to, to just go back there sometime today before you leave and pick up a Bible. Uh, I want to give you a little bit of context around these two, these two chapters, Psalm 42 and 43, before we read them. Psalm 42 is what's called a masculine. If you were here last week, you heard Jeff talk about this word. It literally means enlightenment. And when King David wrote a masculine, it was to preach, uh, it was to teach the people of God a, a truth of God or a truth about God. Uh, it was meant to illumine the eyes and the ears of those who were listening in order to give greater understanding. In other words, it was to enlighten them. And so um, these two psalms, uh, they're, they're part of this masculine. They're, they're designed uh, to enlighten the listener of a truth about God or a truth of God. And uh, they're, they're often thought not to be two separate psalms, but one song with three stanzas and a refrain or a chorus. Um, nobody knows for sure who the author of these two psalms is, though it's widely thought that it's David, uh, and that he wrote it either during the time that he was persecuted by King Saul or when his son Absalom uh, rebelled against him and tried to overthrow the kingdom. Either way, uh, David was forced to flee and, and, uh, and was cut off from worshiping God publicly in the sanctuary uh, with, the, with his people. And so um, these two psalms show David's longing to get back to return to the sanctuary and worship with, with his people, to worship God together with others. And um, so I'm going to read them together as if they're one flowing song. I'm just going to go right into to 43 from 42. Uh, and I'm going to read out of the ESV translation. So if you have a, a Bible from the back, you'll be able to follow along. Um, but I encourage you to follow along in your own Bible or read it up here as I read. So let's, let's dig in here. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God. For the living God, when I shall come, or when shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go to the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts of, and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him in my salvation and my song. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and from Mount Miser. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love and at night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. 
Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So we're just going to kind of talk about this, this song, and we're going to break it up into these, the three stanzas here and then the refrain. Um, verses 1 through 4 of chapter 42 make up the first stanza of this song, and it begins in verse 1 with the confession of a deep longing for God to, by using the imagery of thirst. Have you ever been just thirsty? Like, and I'm not talking about you know, just a little bit thirsty. I'm talking about like so thirsty that your mouth is just it's dry, like uh, your tongue is sticking to your teeth. You get those little white crusties in the corners of your mouth. You know what I'm talking about? Like... Just like, just, you just want to almost, like you can't even get any spit to swallow. Like it's so thirsty, right? You're just parched and, you, and you're longing for just the, the slightest bit of relief, the, this, the smallest drop of water uh, uh, to give you some of that relief. Uh, it's been pretty hot this week, so maybe some of you have experienced that kind of thirst. Um, how amazing is it when you finally get that drink of water? Right? It makes me think of back when, when I was a little kid and um, I lived in South Pekin for until I was about five or so. Um, and, and where we lived, there was just, it was just like a communal backyard. It was my, our street and then it went up the hill and then another street. And so we just had this huge, everybody's backyards, no fences. We just played and played and played all day long, sweated like crazy. And finally, when we would just get so thirsty we couldn't stand it, we'd all run over to somebody's house and, and turn on the hose, you know, crank it full bore, and then just take a big old drink. You know what I'm talking about? Like, have you ever done that before? I used to love it. I used to, I used to fill my mouth so much that it would just, like, fill my cheeks up and then start pouring back out of my mouth. But it just, it just loved, like, that flowing stream of water in and, and how refreshing that was and how cool that was. Um, it was this never-ending supply of thirst-quenching relief. In the first few verses of Psalm 42, David equates his thirst for God like that of a deer panting for this never-ending thirst-quenching relief from a flowing stream. He longs for God, the living water that never runs dry. But at this moment, he's, uh, his thirst isn't being quenched. And instead, the only thing that's hitting his tongue are his tears. And I don't know if you've ever tasted your tears before, but they're salty. And salt makes us even more thirsty. In verse 3, he says that they're mixed. His tears are mixed with his food day and night. David is weeping over the separation that he feels uh, from God because while he's fleeing, he's away from the ark. And back then, the ark uh, was the sign of God's presence. And so because David is absent from the ark, um, he feels like he's away from God's presence. And his enemies conclude because he's away from the ark that he is away from God's presence, that he's lost his God, and so they ridicule him. Have there been times in your life that you felt far from God because of what you're going through? Have there been times in your life that, that you felt like God was nowhere near? I love what Matthew Henry's commentary on the Bible has to say about this particular passage. As I was studying this, he, uh, I found this. He says, 
Sometimes God teaches us effectively to know the worth of mercies by the lack of them. And it whets our appetite for the, for the means for grace by cutting us short in those means. Basically what this is saying is that we don't truly know the depth of God's grace in our lives until we no longer have it. How much better does a drink of water taste when you are parched than when you're not thirsty at all? When you're not thirsty at all, water is just water. But when you're so thirsty, when you're dehydrated and, and drying out, uh, water becomes life, right? As followers of Jesus, if, if life was perfect and nothing ever happened to us, then we would miss out. We wouldn't fully grasp the depth, the magnitude, the life-giving power of God's grace and mercy and forgiveness and his love. In verse 4, David is spiritually dehydrated and he's reminiscing about how things used to be, how he would lead multitudes of people in procession to the house of God with glad shouts of song and praise. He's, he's thinking about the times when things were good. And because he no longer had that, uh, he realized how good it was and he longed for things to be like that again. Have you ever been in a time of hardship and trials and longed for things to go back the way they were when everything was good? Maybe uh, you've lost your job and you're struggling to, to even pay your bills right now and you just want to go back to the time where you could afford everything. Maybe your, your marriage is heading towards divorce and you just wish you could go back uh, to the way things were back when you were dating and, and you had that selfless, uh, unconditional love for one another. Maybe, um, maybe you've had a death in the family and, and you just long to hear that person's voice one more time or to feel the warmth of their hand. Or maybe you're in the middle of an illness or an ailment that just won't go away uh, or an addiction or something like that. Maybe you're depressed and you just wish that you could go back to the days of being happy and healthy. In this first stanza, David is panting for the refreshing presence of God that he once had before he was forced to flee from this persecution. He longs for the things to be the way they once were. He longs to be in the presence of God and of God's people, worshiping God together alongside them. But at this moment, David feels separated from God and from God's people. And then in verses 5 and 6, we see the refrain or the chorus uh, for the first time. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. See, David is wrestling back and forth uh, between his emotions and the truth. In light of his circumstances, he has good reason to be filled with sorrow. I mean, he's, he's away from, from the presence of God and the people of God. He has a, he has a good reason to be uh, filled with sorrow, but he knows that he can't allow that sorrow, <clears throat> excuse me, that sorrow to prevail, to lead him to focus inward on himself uh, and spiral downward into depression. So instead, he reasons with his own heart. He's having this conversation with himself, and he and he turns uh, the focus toward God. And in this chorus, David is essentially saying, "Why am I so sorrowful? Is there a real cause? Uh, yeah, there is, but." Isn't there also at the same time cause to be encouraged? While everything else is changing around me, God is still the same. And so my hope remains in him. And we're going to see this chorus two more times by the end of Psalm 43, by the end of this song. And we'll spend a little bit more time on, <clears throat> on how it applies to us here in a little bit. But I want to, I want to move on to the second stanza for now, okay? Um, verses 6 through 10 of chapter 42. 
So in this stanza, David, is, he's still in anguish about being so far away from the sanctuary of God. And he uses the imagery of water again. Even though he just did this chorus, this refrain of, why are you so downcast, uh, my soul? Uh, the next, very next stanza starts with, my soul is downcast. So he's still in this sorrowful state. Um, and he uses this imagery of water again, but with a much different meaning than he used it in the first stanza. It's like the heavy constant pounding of a waterfall are his troubles. And it's as if his troubles are like two waterfalls, one on either side of him, calling back and forth to one another, encouraging one another to pile more and more on top of him. And then he also compares his hardships to a raging sea with waves crashing over him and pulling him under. Uh, In this stanza, instead of using water to reveal the life-giving power of God, he's using it to to reveal the the life-taking power of his circumstances and and that they have on him in essence he feels like he's drowning in his sorrow have you ever been there once again he sways back and forth between his emotions and and the truth he knows that god is his rock he knows that god is his firm foundation that he can stand on and yet he feels like god has forgotten him and his enemies ridicule and taunt him as if that's the case See, oftentimes when we go through trials as believers and we don't get the answers or or the relief right away, that's when the critics to the faith uh, chime in and they begin to ridicule and and they begin to mock and they say, where was God when this happened? Or where is God now? And it can be very disheartening. In verse 10, David says it's like a deadly wound to his bones. All day long they mock him and they ask him where his God is and it's causing him this deep, deep pain. When you're not getting the answers from God in your situation and you start uh, listening to the mockers who tell you that God is nowhere near, who, who tell you that, that, uh, that God has abandoned you, it's painful, isn't it? And if you keep listening to them, it'll lead to death, like a festering wound, a deep festering wound that is not properly treated. David doesn't want to listen to his enemies, but he can't help it because In this moment, he feels like theirs is the only voice that he hears, and their taunting is driving him deeper and deeper into sorrow. And I know that some of you guys have been in there, and I've been here in this place before, and I want you to hear this this morning, that when everything else is lost, we haven't lost God. When we've lost everything else, we haven't lost God, and we never will. The only way we can lose him is by rejecting him. David has to remind himself of this truth over and over again in the midst of his suffering. And and so we see the chorus come back again in verse 11. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Once again, David goes from complaining to comforting, back and forth, back and forth. Truth and emotion, they, they wrestle so much, don't they? Let's go to the final stanza in in, uh, Psalm 43. This stanza starts with a plea for God to vindicate David from the taunting of his enemies. He's asking God to speak up and answer the accusations of the mockers. Because right now, David feels like uh, he himself has no answer for their ridiculing. They're saying, where is God? And, and, And it doesn't sound like God's there to David. And so he can't answer them. Uh, He wrestles internally once again and knowing that God is his refuge and yet he's wounded 
over and over by the words of his oppressors. David knows that his heart will be led in the wrong direction if God doesn't intervene, and so he pleads with God to do so in Psalm 43, 3. He's asking God to shed light on his dark situation to remind him of the truth. He's saying, I don't want to stay here and wallow in self-pity because I've been separated from the sanctuary. God, remind me of your truth here where I'm at and let it illuminate my heart and my mind and bring me back to your sanctuary so I can be in your presence and in the presence of your people. David begins to to be encouraged by what's to come. Verse four, then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. And he's not talking about someone who doesn't tell the truth. He's talking about uh, a musical instrument here. Okay, so it's worshipful. It's, it, it, it's joyful. There's song. There's music. There's, there's happy and gladness back. Okay, and he's longing for that time. And so then the song ends with the refrain one more time. It says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God... For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Now, earlier I mentioned that this song was, uh, was what's known as a maskil, and it's meant to enlighten those who listen to it. Uh, I just read it out loud, which means that if you aren't sleeping in here, then you heard it, okay? And, and so it's meant today to, to enlighten you and, and anybody who listens to the podcast. And, and so uh, I think there's a, a, a truth here that we need to to just kind of dig into a little bit deeper. Um, and, and it's an important truth that I think that we need to be reminded of today. I think sometimes we lose sight of it, and I want to bring it back to the forefront of our minds and in our hearts. Are you ready for it? Okay, it's, it's three words. And if you don't remember anything else from today, I want you to remember these words. Hope in God. And say that with me. Hope in God. One more time. Hope in God. See, I'm willing to bet that if you haven't already, uh, at some point in your life, you will go through something difficult. And it's only a matter of time before you will. And I'm not saying that to be a pessimist. In fact, I I would consider myself to be an optimist at heart. Um, But I know this. Jesus promises to all believers in John 16, 33 that they would have trouble in this world. And even if you aren't a believer in Christ in here this morning, uh, I, can, I can guarantee you that because this world is a broken place, you will at some point in your life experience difficulties and trials. It's inescapable in our lifetime. Death alone is, is enough uh, to, to bring us to a place of sorrow. And the death rate is 100%, right? I don't know anybody yet that's lived forever except for Jesus. But he died too, and then rose again. The difference between a believer in Christ and an unbeliever is in who or what they place their hope. Without God, the only thing that we can hope in is people and circumstances. But sooner or later, people will let us down and circumstances will fail us. But God does not let us down and God does not fail us. So I just want to share with you... um, for a few minutes, how I've seen this truth played out in my life and in the life of my family over the past six years. And if you've known me for any amount of time, uh, even just a little while, you've probably heard of me talk about my grandparents before. Um, my dad's mom and dad, they've been the two of the strongest pillars of faith in my life uh, and one of the greatest examples I've seen 
of what it looks like to have a lifelong marriage centered on God. They loved God, they loved others, uh, and they invested their lives in helping impress his commands on the hearts of their children and their children's children, okay, and their, their grandchildren, us, and, and, and even their great-grandchildren. They, they lived out Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, the best way I've ever seen it done. Um, and so my grandma, when, when we were kids, I have two sisters, when we were little, um, my grandma was diagnosed with leukemia, and she was given a 10% chance to live through that Christmas. Uh, and so I think I was about eight or nine years old. Um, but the leukemia went into remission, and then it never really came back. Like, there, there just wasn't really much of an issue after that. Um, we always kind of tried to pay attention and, 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 and you know, do whatever we could do to, to help keep her healthy that way, but um, it never really came back. And so that in itself was just uh, kind of this miracle from God that, that he spared her life um, that year. But it, as, our, as my sisters and I got older, the reality that our grandma and grandpa wouldn't be with us forever uh, started to become more and more real. In 2007, my grandma was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Um, she was in the early stages of it, and so she wasn't really... It wasn't really that noticeable. There wasn't really a, a change in her mindset, but yet she could, she could remember all of us, most of the important dates and events and things like that. Um, and, and my grandma was this very matter-of-fact, practical, kind of say-what's-on-your-mind gal, and, uh, and she, you know, she stood about as tall as this stool. And, um, and, and she, she would read up on this, and, and the one thing that she always said that brought her comfort was that um, as she read up on this, that if, if she loses her mind and everything else, that she wouldn't lose the ability most likely to play the piano. And, and she always played the piano. She always sat at her piano for hours and just played hymns all the time. And so she was so worried that she would forget how to worship God. And um, a lot like David was so distressed and so sorrowful that he couldn't be in the presence of God and, and with his people worshiping. My grandma was afraid that she was going to forget God. Not long after grandma was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, the company that my dad had started from the ground up began to experience some financial um, difficulties, but he kept that quiet from the rest of us because of the things that were going on in my grandma's life. And then in late summer 2008, my grandpa went into the hospital with a urinary tract infection. He was in the hospital for a couple weeks, came out, um, and then it wasn't long, though, before he was back in the hospital due to complications. We thought that everything was good, and, and uh, they obviously weren't. Um, he went back in, and he developed something that's called adult respiratory, respiratory distress syndrome, and... Uh, um, he ended up dying in the hospital in October of 2008, just three days after my dad's birthday. Um, it was this super unexpected thing. Uh, not to sound morbid or anything, but, but we always kind of thought that my grandma would go first because she had all of these ailments and all of this stuff. Um, we just kind of figured that. And so when my grandpa died, it, was this, it, was, it caught us off guard, and it was really, really hard to deal with because he was this man, this godly man in my life. And, and man, there's been so many times where I've wanted to just go ask him for help and wisdom and, and I don't hear anything back now. 
And so, um, we weren't really ready for that. Over the next couple of years, Advanced System Designs, that's my dad's company, they continued to struggle financially, and he finally uh, began to open up more about it with me and my two sisters. ASD had provided so much, not just for our family when we were growing up, um, but for all the families of everyone who worked for my dad. And it was tough to see the company struggling, not because we were all afraid of no longer having a financial cushion, but because our hearts broke for the man who had provided so much for so many as he began to wrestle with the reality, uh, the very real possibility that he would no longer be able to do that. And then in 2010, the doctors, um, they found some spots in my grandma's lungs, and they, then they found a couple tumors in her brain. Um, and after holding strong against leukemia and breast cancer and chronic bronchitis and you name it, she had it, um, her little body just couldn't fight anymore, and cancer finally won the battle. And she died just nine days before, before my son Charlie was born. in June of 2010. And this was really, really hard on me, especially. She was so close to meeting the great-grandson that would carry on the Johnson family name. My grandma had always told me that when I was born, my my grandpa always said that that I was the apple of his eye and that... um, because I was the only, the only Johnson man, the only Johnson, true blood Johnson boy that would be able to carry on the family line. And so he was so proud to see that carried on one more generation. And so um, my daughter, Josie, she was five months old when my grandpa died. And I know that, that he loved her, and I know that she was the apple of his eye because uh, he got to meet the next generation of, of Johnson. But I, I, there's always this part of me that wishes that he could have been around to meet his great-grandson because I know that he would have been proud to, to know that the Johnson name would continue on for at least another generation. And so when Bree and I found out that we were pregnant again and we, we figured out that it was a boy, um, we were so excited to tell my grandma. and she, she just was so happy about that. And then we were so excited that, that she would get to meet him and we were so close And it was a bittersweet celebration in the hospital room on the day that Charlie was born, just six days after my grandma's funeral. ASD continued to struggle, and in April of 2012, my dad had to sell our family farm so that he could dump all the money back into the company and try and keep it going. Now, I've been hunting and fishing with my dad since I could walk, and we both had dreams of bringing Charlie out Uh, to the farm when he got older and passing on this father-son tradition of hunting and fishing together. And and we can still do that, um, but we just have to find a new place to do it. But uh, my dad and I, we spent one last day out there together a couple weeks before the buyer closed on the property, and we took pictures, and we reminisced about all the memories that we had created out there together. And it was, again, another bittersweet day. Dad's efforts to keep ASD afloat weren't enough, and in August of 2012, 26 years after he opened them the first time, Dad finally closed the doors on ASD for good. 
And in April of this year, my dad began the procedure to file personal bankruptcy. Uh, he had poured almost all of his own personal assets back into ASD to try to keep it going because he didn't want to stop providing for his employees and their families. It wasn't about him uh, owning a business. It wasn't about him keeping a name for himself. He simply just didn't want people to be without a job and, and without a way to provide for their families. And so he kept it alive long enough for them to, to leave, basically, and find a new place to, to work. And then on top of all of that, as he was selling some of the things that he still had left to, to help pay off some debt, he was the victim of an identity theft scam on Craigslist. I, I'm not making any of this up. I mean, this is, this is just what's happening, okay? Uh, he did end up finding a job, in the twi- and in a twist of irony, um, is, is currently working for one of ASD's biggest competitors. Um, but he'll still have to complete the bankruptcy filing and sell his house and his truck and and uh, that'll hopefully finish up in September. He's been keeping us up to date on all this stuff. Um, and then he'll have to find a new place to live. So if you have a spare bedroom or a basement that's not doing anything, I'm just kidding. Um, now, I want you to know that I got my dad's permission to share all this. And, and needless to say, our family has gone through a lot over the past six years. And I'm not pouring all this out to say, look at me and, and feel sorry for me, because I know that, that you have hardships too. Um, but it seems like a lot of this has centered and concentrated on him for whatever reason. And he's gone through trials in the past six years that are enough to break, just break a man. Losing both parents, losing the, the thing that you've built from the ground up, your business, not being able to support other people. And yet in the midst of of losing almost everything, my dad has been one of the greatest examples I've seen of what it looks like to hope in God. In the midst of all his trials, he's always spoken of God's faithfulness. And if I could describe with one Bible verse how I viewed my dad over these past several years, it would be Romans 12, 12. It says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. That's my dad. And I couldn't be more proud of my dad for continuing to lead his family in such a God-honoring way. That is a legacy that I would much rather pass on to my kids than any financial inheritance or family property. Much like my grandparents were for me, my dad is now a, a pillar of faith in the lives of his grandkids. And he continues to build a legacy of hope in God that will stand strong enough through the toughest of life's trials. He's going to listen to this podcast later, and I just want to publicly honor him uh, for the man of God that he is. Dad, I love you, and I'm thankful. What trials have you faced or are you facing in your life right now? Is it a death or an illness in the family, financial struggles? Is it relationship problems, unemployment? Uh, Do you have a real cause to be sorrowful? I bet we could go around this room this morning and an- the answer to that question would be yes for person after person. But can I ask you another question? Isn't there at the same time cause to be encouraged? Romans 5, 2 through 5 says, Through him, meaning Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into his, this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God 
Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So often we tend to put our hope in the outcome of the situation instead of anchoring it to God no matter what the outcome is. And we disguise our hope in the outcome to look like our trust in God when really we are afraid uh, to trust Him and give Him control. But that's what happens when we put our hope uh, in, in things that are, are changeable and the things that fail, of, that, that fail us. Is it okay uh, to want our circumstances to change? Yes. Even Jesus pleaded with God that if there would be any other way for the forgiveness of sins than me dying on the cross, then let that pass from me and, and let this other way happen. But Jesus himself gave God ultimate control when he said, not my will, but yours be done. You see, Jesus still had to die on the cross. And as believers in Christ, we don't just identify with Jesus in his victory, we identify him also in his suffering. Life is not about health, wealth, and happiness, and anyone who tells you that is a liar, and I'm not talking about a musical instrument this time. It's about taking up your cross and laying down your life for God's purposes in the same manner that Jesus did. But his death and his resurrection are what give us hope. Because of Jesus, we have something greater to hope for than this life on earth. 1 Corinthians 15, 19 says, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, then we are of all people to be most pitied. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18 says that believers in Christ don't grieve as those who have no hope. In the same passage, we're charged to encourage one another with the reminder that we will be in eternity with God. We will spend eternity with God. Hebrews 6, 16 through 20 says, For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. There are two unchangeable things about God that we can anchor our hope to. One is his character, and the other is his promise. When someone gives an oath, the oath is solidified by that person's character. You don't trust somebody that's uh, unworthy, right? uh, That doesn't have a good character. And in the midst of our trials, we can know that we know that we know that God will never change. And and, and what is God's unchangeable character like? Exodus 34, 6 and 7. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children. to the third and fourth generation. His word tells us that he will never leave us nor forsake us. His love for us doesn't change with our circumstances. And we can also know that he's faithful to keep his promises and he's promised life eternally for, for, with him for those who confess their sins, believe in Jesus, and follow him with their lives here on earth. He's also promised justice and judgment to those who reject him. And so we can take comfort in the fact 
that even though it may feel like our enemies are victorious for the time being, that a day will come when God will bring final justice and we will be vindicated like David was longing for in the third stanza of this song. And so because of Jesus, we can have hope in the unchangeable nature and promise of God because Jesus fulfilled God's promise and gave us a way to be with God forever. Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. In Psalm 42 and 43, David is isolated from the fellowship of other believers. He longed to get back to the presence of God's people so that he could be encouraged by what he already knew to be true. Listen, when we go through trials, it's important that we not pull away from the body of Christ. God is the source of our hope, but we've been given the Holy Spirit and we've been given one another to encourage us to cling to that hope. When we're in the company of other believers, it only serves to strengthen the anchor of hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. If you don't know Christ this morning, I want to ask you this as we, as we close. What hope do you have when life goes south? Are the quote-unquote good thoughts that your friends send your way enough to get you through the trial, or do you need something more? And if I can be a little more straightforward with you, listen, hope in anything other than God himself is no hope at all. It's not. But you can walk out of here today with a real and a living hope anchored to the unchangeable character and the promise of God through his son, Jesus Christ. Believe in Jesus. Trust him for the forgiveness of your sins and begin living your life for him according to his word. If you want to do that this morning, then I want to encourage you when we close to to come up here and talk to me or or find an elder or uh, uh, come up and talk to a member of of the prayer response team that'll be up here. If you're a believer this morning and you're going through something difficult in your life right now, I want to challenge you to reach out to the body of Christ. Don't go through it alone and isolate yourself from the encouragement of others to keep your heart centered on the hope that you have in Jesus. Let David's words in Psalm 42 and 43 be your prayer. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. I just want to close with um, the words of an old hymn that my grandma used to play on her piano, and I just want you to listen to these words. I'm not going to sing them, um, but I just want you to hear these words because I think they summarize so well uh, the, the point of this message today. It's just four verses and then a refrain here. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. 
When darkness seems to hide his face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. His oath, his covenant, his blood support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is my hope and stay. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found. Dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. And the refrain goes like this. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are our hope, that you are unchangeable and immovable. And I pray for those in here this morning that just need to hear that truth, that it would sink in, that they would be reminded that it is a sure and steadfast anchor for our soul and that they would be firmly planted on your truth and surround themselves with people who love them and who love you and who encourage them with your words. And God, I just want to pray your word to, to close us this morning. I want to pray Romans fifteen thirteen. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. We love you, God, and we give you the glory and the honor and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.